scripture reading for this morning is the book of Malachi chapter 3. book of Malachi chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 1 through 5 of this passage, although I'll ask you to leave your scriptures open as we'll be looking at a number of texts in both the Old and New Testament this morning as we deal with this theme of Jesus Christ, our high priest. This is part of the prophecy of the coming of Christ. Handel, in his beautiful oratorial, the Messiah, has a great chorus about purifying the sons of Levi. If you uh, have not listened to Handel's Messiah of late, I would encourage you to at least download uh, in this next coming week uh, that particular chorus and and to reflect upon it. He shall purify the sons of Levi. That's where we're at this morning. That's what baptism is all about. That's what the coming of Jesus Christ is truly all about. His work as our priest. Malachi chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old, as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. Do not fear me, says the Lord. Of hopes. Let's fire the reading of God's Word. Let's again bow in prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this marvelous opportunity to gather in your house to worship you. You are indeed the great I Am, the God of grace, the God of mercy, the God of love. And Lord, we just thank you for all the blessings you've showered upon us. The greatest blessing of all is the coming of your Son into this world. For he came with a purpose, and that purpose was to bring salvation. He died, he arose, and he now sits on your right hand. And Lord, we thank you for that great and generous grace that you have given us. We pray this morning for Pastor Bob. We pray for him and the words that he will give to us. We pray that they will sit on our hearts, that you will give him wisdom, and that you will give him strength. We just ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. There are five things that I want to look at with you this morning that are the qualifications, perhaps we would say, or the requirements of a priest. If you think back into the Old Testament, there's there's like five components that go into 
this whole work and ministry of the priesthood that we find, you see, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look this morning at his ancestry. Secondly, we'll look at his consecration, his being set aside. Third, his work. Fourth, his sacrifice. And fifth, his acceptance. You see, for a priest in the Old Testament, it was important that he had the right lineage, that he had the right ancestry. Secondly, it was important that he could not do his work of priest until he had been consecrated, set apart. Thirdly, there was a great amount of work that the priest was involved in. Fourthly, there were the sacrifices that the priest had to involve himself in. And fifthly, it came down to whether or not the work of the priest was actually going to be accepted by the Lord or not. So those are the five things we'll look at this morning. First of all, his ancestry. For a priest, the law defined it. The law told the people of Israel who could and who could not be a priest. We find that delineated for us in the book of Exodus, chapter 29, verse 9, and then also in the book of Numbers, chapter 3. Let's go to the Numbers 3 chapter a minute and just remind ourselves of who it was that was allowed to serve as priest over the house of Israel. Who it was that was allowed to occupy this wonderful position that had been given. We'll go down to verse 5. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near, and set them before Aaron the priest, that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation before the tent of meeting, as they minister at the tabernacle. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent of meeting. They shall guard over the people of Israel, and they shall minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons. They shall guard their priesthood. But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. Priests had to come from the tribe of Levi. They had to come from the line, from the lineage, from the ancestry of Aaron. That's the way the law defined it. That's the way God set it up. Every priest from Aaron onward had to be a descendant of Aaron. And so it became a a great responsibility to keep those genealogical records, to make sure, to make sure beyond a shadow of a doubt that the man who was putting on the clothing of the high priest, that the man who was going about the work of the sacrifices, that the man who was involved primarily in the Day of Atonement, making that sacrifice for the sins of the people, was a descendant of Aaron. Does Jesus fit that description? Well, some commentators debate the fact that perhaps the lineage that we're given in the book of Luke of Jesus Christ actually is more a tracing of his ancestry back to the tribe of Levi. Although others will say that's kind of a stretch. It would appear from Scripture it's a non-question. From Scripture it is a question we don't really need to ask. 
say, wait a minute, but, but didn't the law say that the person who was priest had to be from the tribe of Levi from Aaron's family? Yes. But Christ predates the law. Christ's ancestry, Christ's lineage is from all eternity. We confess that Christ is the one who is eternally begotten of the Father. That Christ's priesthood is a priesthood that surpasses the priesthood that is set up in the law. Remember how the book of Hebrews refers to Christ as a priest, not according to the order of Aaron, but he is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And what does the scripture in Hebrews tell you about Melchizedek? But Melchizedek is a priest who had no father or mother. Melchizedek is a priest who is given the picture of the fact that he is the one who has been from all eternity. Melchizedek in the scriptures of the Old Testament, with Abraham already, predating the law, already functions as the priest as the one who is the king of Salem, the king of peace, the one who already has been given the role and responsibility of being a priest, and that Christ is in that order. Why? Because Christ's priesthood is Melchizedek's priesthood. And Christ comes in that order, in that ancestry, in that lineage. So does Christ fulfill the responsibility of being in the ancestry of the priesthood? And the answer is, of course. Of course he does. As the eternally begotten Son of the Father, as the one who who is functioning as a priest in the Old Testament even before the law is given on Mount Sinai, Christ bears the title, has the lineage, has the ancestry, we might say, in order to fulfill that responsibility. In fact, the book of Hebrews testifies to this of at least four times. Hebrews chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 6, Hebrews chapter 7, in numerous places. Scripture remarks to us of the fact that Christ is the priest in the order of of Melchizedek. So Christ comes as the one who is the messenger of the covenant. Malachi chapter 3. See, in Malachi chapter 3, we, we have two people represented. One as the one who is going to come and prepare the way, John the Baptist. The other who is going to come as the messenger of the covenant. That's the priest. That's the one who is going to come and purify the sons of Levi. That's the one who is going to come and administer that covenant. The true priest who bears an eternal lineage to that priesthood, Jesus Christ. Secondly, every priest needed to be consecrated. Now, just turn in your Bible to Exodus chapter 28. Exodus chapter 28. We are told 
in Exodus chapter 28 of the special garments that the priest is to wear. And it goes on for a whole chapter describing those garments. However, chapter 29 tells us this is the process by which you need to go through making sure that every high priest is consecrated, set aside. So here, here we have okay, the tribe of Levi. They're set aside. Now we have the house of Aaron. They are set aside. But now from the house of Aaron, we need to set aside the one who is going to be the high priest. God, in chapter 29 of Exodus, gives them a method, gives them the means by which this is to be done. It is a long, it is a lengthy process. It involves cleansing. Primarily cleansing, interestingly enough, with water. Water that has gone through a special cleansing process. A special process that has nothing to do with making the water more pure, but was a sign and a symbol to the Israelites. Look, in order to get pure water, you need to have blood, you need to have ashes, you need to have a red heifer, you you have to go through this process by which you come up with the water through which you now need to sprinkle, you need to cleanse along with blood on Aaron and the next high priest and the next high priest and the next high priest. Set aside, consecrated. Every priest had to go through this process. Turn forward to Leviticus chapter 8 and 9. Chapter 8 and 9 is where Moses does what we're told to do back in Exodus. It's the execution of that work. And just go through it. Just look at all the requirements, all the sacrifices that had been made, had to be made, all the blood that had to be poured out, the blood that had to be sprinkled here, there, and everywhere in order that this priest... See, they didn't do this for every ordinary Israelite. This was only for the priest, to set the priest aside in order that his work might be done. An amazing, lengthy visual that God gave to the Israelites to depict to them the fact that this person as high priest was indeed being given a position, a rank, that God was doing, as it were, everything possible to signify to the people of Israel that the high priest was ordained, consecrated, set apart for his work. 
what about Christ? Does Christ go through this lengthy process of Leviticus chapters 8 and 9 in order to ascend to his, pro- his priesthood? The answer is no. Why not? Well, why did God go through the process of Leviticus 8 and 9? Why did all those sacrifices have to be made for the priests? Why did all that blood need to be sprinkled? Why did all that water need to be sprinkled? Why, why was that necessary? Because God was testifying that no matter who the man was that was the high priest, he was a sinner. He was a sinner just like every other member of Aaron's family, just like every other member of the tribe of Levi, just like every other Israelite, just like every other human being. That priest could not claim his priesthood on his own holiness. He could not claim that priesthood on his own merits. Even the priest needed the blood of the bull. Even the priest needed the blood of the lamb. Even the priest needed to be washed. Even the priest needed to be cleansed. See, the process that God was going through was to not just set the man apart, but so that every Israelite would understand this man too is a sinner. This man too sins. God needs to cleanse him. God needs to purify him. So now we come back to what about Christ? Well, our first answer would be this. Christ needs no purification, does it? Christ needs no process. Why? Because of his sinless divinity. Because of who he is. Malachi tells us, the Lord himself will come to the temple. Who is the Lord of Malachi chapter 3? The one who is the messenger of the covenant. What is the messenger of the covenant? The one who is the priest. The one who is going to purify. Who is that? Jesus Christ. What does Isaiah chapter 9 tell us? That he is the wonderful counselor. That he is the Prince of Peace, that he is the Everlasting Father, that he is the Mighty God. That he is Emmanuel. That Christ Jesus needs no Leviticus 8 and 9. He needs no offering for his sin. Why? Because of his perfection. It is a reminder to us of the fact that the one who came is indeed divine. He is indeed Christ. He is that second person of the Trinity. He is the Son of God. He is God Himself. Yes, He comes as the babe in Bethlehem. Yes, He takes on human flesh. But my friends, never let us forget That in the babe of Bethlehem there is divinity that needs no cleansing. There is divinity that needs no purification. 
There is divinity that needs no sacrifice. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh. Word was God. Jesus Christ. Our high priest. Is not like the high priest that Israel had to deal with throughout their existence. And we certainly know that from the story of the priest that is God gives to us in His Word. God never presents that priesthood as those who are sinless characters. But we find in their priesthood sin. We find in Aaron a disregard for the rules and laws that God has given so he has two sons that end up dying. We have in Samuel a man who raises his sons not according to the truth of God's word. Excuse me. We see in Eli a man who raises his sons not according to the truths of God's word. We see in Caiaphas, a man who had the ancestry, a man who had the consecration. But we see a man who is manipulating the government. We see a man who is seeking to bring down to death by means of crucifixion the sinless Lamb of God. God in His Word clearly depicts to us that every human priest is indeed with sin. Christ is the sinless priest. Third, there is the work of the priest. The work. It's a detailed system. This Mosaic covenant that that God sets up there at Mount Sinai that, that we're getting into when you turn into the book of Leviticus and you read all of those rules and all of those requirements, how they are to be so exact in their work. How how when they prepare certain sacrifices, the kidneys are to be cut out. When they prepare other sacrifices, the kidneys are to be left. And there's sometimes they're to take the entrails out. Sometimes they're to leave them. Sometimes it's one portion of the animal. Sometimes it's another portion of the animal. And, and we have said, as we've gone through the book of Leviticus last year with our Thursday morning Bible study, or a couple of years ago, the fact that that I'm not sure many of us could have functioned. The rules are so detailed. They they really are quite complex. To know, oh, you're bringing the offering for this. Now what am I supposed to do? We, we, we've kind of kiddingly said we hope they had some sort of chart so that there was some chart they could reference. Burnt offering, this is what I do. Trespass offering, this is what I do. Sin offering, this is what I do. Because there are so many details so many rules, so many regulations that these priests have to follow. So much time, so much work, so much effort goes into this work of the priest. Does Christ fulfill all that? Well, as far as I know, I'm I'm not sure outside of himself there is one sacrifice, Jesus, I, we never see him. He goes to the temple and puts on the high priest's clothes and walks up and offers a sacrifice according to the law. Jesus doesn't do that, does he? 
Yet we call him the priest. Why? Because he perfectly fulfilled the law. Now, we talked about the fact a minute ago, he is sinless. But in his humanity now, in his humanity, his perfect obedience, he comes and obeys perfectly that which the Father commands. I have come to do the will of my Father who sent me. And not once, not once, from the moment of his conception to his leaving this earth in his ascension, did Christ ever violate God's law? Kept it perfectly. You talk about a priest who went about his work with care. Christ. Even when there were those who would seek to dissuade him. Even as there were those who would seek to come and trick him. Even as those who would seek to put him in a trap. Perfect. Sinless. Son of God. Who comes to the cross as having done the Father's will. as a priest would seek to get it right every time. But they're human beings, aren't they? Every priest that served under this Mosaic covenant was a human being. We to think that none of them ever messed up on a cut of meat? Oh, some did purposely. We know that. But there would be those who would make mistakes. They're human beings. They'd have to go through the sin process and the sin offering process. book of Hebrews talks about that. It says, you know, not only do they make atonement for the sins of the people, but they've got to continually make atonement for their own sins. But not Christ. But not Christ. For He lives a sinless priesthood, never violating the Word of God. Fourthly, there is the sacrifice. There were stringent requirements given. Animal, specify. Age of animal, condition of animal. If grain offerings were that which were to be offered, amounts were specified. How much of this? How much of that? If a drink offering were to be offered, how much of this? How much of of that? If incense were going to be burned, God gave a detailed, detailed description of, of what that incense was to be. Why was God doing that? Why was God being so... We might say God's being a perfectionist about all of this. Yes, He was. In one way, you could say... The only animals that were allowed to be sacrificed were perfect animals, according to God's description of perfection. Could have no broken bones. They could not be injured. They could not have blemishes. They could not have illness or sickness. 
God didn't want their second best. God wanted their best. Detail after detail throughout that book of Leviticus of the animals, of the grain, of the drink, of the incense that could be given. Christ is not only the perfect priest who offers the perfect sacrifice, but he becomes the perfect sacrifice himself. See, think about the work of the priest, the, the, the mosaic, the Aaron priest. Okay, so here you have the man. What's his task to present an offering? But the offering he presents is not himself, right? God holds him to the requirements of taking that animal, of bringing it to the altar, and of doing at that altar what God requires. But Christ not only comes to the cross perfectly keeping the will of God, but Christ also offers himself on that cross. He becomes the priest who is the sacrifice. Why? Because there is no other sacrifice that is perfect. Every single one of those animals that they brought, thousands, hundreds of thousands, they follow the rules, they present the best animal possible, but it's not a perfect animal. Not a perfect animal. All the blood of beasts and goats on Jewish altars laid could not for sin atone. Why? Because not one of those animals was perfect. There was only one, the sinless Lamb of God that could sacrifice Himself. Oh, he certainly has the unique qualifications, does He not? And when you dig into the, the account of Passover and you look at the requirements that are given for Passover lambs, and you look at the death of Christ taking place at the very moment of the death of the Passover lamb in the temple, the connection God is making in His Word is so Loctite. The sinless Lamb of God, the sinless Passover lamb, giving of Himself upon that cross. Turn, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 9. Listen to how God's Word so beautifully summarizes all of this. Hebrews 9, I'm going to pick it up at, at verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. 
For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works, serve the living God. Therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant. Think Malachi chapter 3. What's going to happen? One is going to come to announce. One is going to come to be the messenger of the covenant. He is the mediator of a new covenant. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who has made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness sins. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, as the high priest enters the holy place every year with blood not his own. For then he would have to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it was appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Remember how in Malachi chapter 3 we have the talk of the one who is coming as the messenger of the covenant and he's going to purify the sons of Levi and then that section ends with God's going to come and he's going to come in judgment. That's where we are now, folks. The messenger of the covenant has come. The new covenant is now enacted. Christ has offered himself And God is sitting in judgment. What are you doing with my son? What are you doing with him? And God's judgment rests upon them. But Malachi is written before the work of Christ. Now you have Hebrews written after the work of Christ. And what does Hebrews say? He's coming again. For what purpose? Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. We sang this beautiful hymn before the throne of God above. I have a strong high priest. Are you eagerly waiting for that priest to come? 
Are you looking for Christ, your high priest? The one whose ancestry is without question. The one who is consecrated. The one who has done his work with perfect obedience. The one who by his own unique qualifications has offered himself as the one sacrifice needed for the forgiveness of sin. Are you waiting for him? See, this is what is going on here. In the Old Testament, you, you had this process whereby you came up with water. And with that cleansing water, you sprinkled things. A sign of the fact that the thing that you have sprinkled is now cleansed. It's set apart. This water, too, is set apart. Because this is the water of a sacrament. This is the water that, that Christ has purified. Now, there's been no process. We haven't put it through charcoal and ashes and so on. But you see, spiritually, this water has been purified. Not by the blood of an animal, by the blood of Christ. And so when we take this water and we sprinkle it on the head of an infant or we sprinkle it on the, the head of an adult, we sprinkle it on the head of someone who is saying, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I've never been cleansed with that water before. That's what's happening. That's the picture. Who does this? Pastor Bob? No. This is our high priest at work. The picture here is of Christ taking the water of baptism and sprinkling on those who are set apart by his covenant. Children, babies, young people, adults. We've been set apart. We've been consecrated. Go back with me to Malachi. What does the passage say? But that he shall purify the sons of Levi. He shall purify for himself a priesthood. In the Old Testament, as we come to our fifth point, the acceptance of the work of the priest is noted over and over and over again. Turn back with me to the book of Leviticus. Turn back with me to the book of Leviticus. So we have the process. We have the priest, okay, set aside with the right ancestry. He's been consecrated. He does his work, okay. He's been set apart. He's faithfully following all the rules and instructions. He's got the right animal. He's got the right sacrifice. Listen to what happens. Leviticus 1.9. And the priest shall burn all of it on the altar as a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. See, when it's all done, when the priest has done his work, when the right priest has done his work, what is it? It's a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And God reiterates that. Go down to chapter 1, verse 13. And the priest shall offer all of it, on, burn it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Go down to verse 17. He shall tear it open by its wings, 
but not sever it completely, and the priest shall burn it on the altar, on the wood that is on the fire. It is a burnt offering, a food offering, with a what? Pleasing aroma to the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 2. And bring it to Aaron, the sons, the priest, and he shall take from it a handful of fine flour and oil with all of its frankincense, and the priest shall burn it, this, as its memorial portion on the altar, a food offering with what? A pleasing aroma to the Lord. Over and over and over again. When the right priest offers the right sacrifice according to the specifications that God gives, a priest who is set aside, consecrated. What does the Bible say God regards that sacrifice? As a pleasing aroma to Him. A few weeks ago, when we were in 2 Corinthians, what did Paul tell us? That Christ always leads in triumphal procession and we are pleasing. Aroma to the Lord. Why? Because the messenger of the covenant has come and he has purified the sons of Levi. Say, but we're not descendants of Levi. No, not in the biological sense, but in the spiritual sense you are. Peter, first Second Peter, excuse me, First Peter chapter two verse nine, identifies who we are. He says that we are a royal priesthood. We're a royal priesthood. We are the sons of Levi. And what has Christ done by His blood? He has purified us from all of our sin. That's the promise that was made to Korah this morning. God is promising through His high priest, Jesus Christ, who has offered Himself as the perfect sacrifice, who has followed the law fully, completely, who has an ancestry from all eternity, who in His divinity is sinless, who in His humanity is perfect. God comes to Akora and says, I shall purify you. Here is my promise. Here is my promise. Does this do it? No. No. Our form reminds us of that. It's not through this action. But this pictures the action of God. This illustrates what God does. As surely as this water cleanses, so the blood of Christ cleanses. See, that's why we have parents take vows. Say, Dave and Carly, teach her this, teach her this, teach her Christ, teach her that she has a high priest. Teach her that her high priest is Jesus Christ. Teach her that He has offered Himself. And that by His blood, she will be cleansed. And if she says, how do I know this? Say, Korah, you were baptized. That is God's promise. 
he shall purify the sons of Levi. How do we know? How do you and I know that God accepted the work of Christ? How do we know that? Well, if you still have your finger in Hebrews, turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Verse I love to keep coming back to. Because it is so full. It is so rich. It is so deep. It is so assuring. It is so comforting. It is so full of hope. It is so full of peace. It is so full of grace. It is so full of mercy. It is so full of pardon. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. No more work needed to be done. The high priest had completed the sacrifice. And God said, well done. And God's people said, Amen. Father, we thank you for your word, for its promise to us in the coming of Jesus Christ. The word become flesh in the coming of Emmanuel, in the coming of the divine Son of God taking on that human nature. We see, Father, not only the glory and the majesty and the awe, the mystery of all that that entails, but Lord, as we looked at last week, we hear the true prophet speak. We hear the one calling us out of his word. We also see him, the one born as the babe of Bethlehem, as the one who not only is the great prophet, but the one who is also the high priest. Thank you for sending your son. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithful work as our priest. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, for confirming these things in the truth of your word and opening our hearts to receive the good news Truly, as God's people, we can say, Gloria in excelsis Deo. Glory to God in the highest. In Christ's name we pray and God's people say, Amen.